Warning, on a scale of 0 to 1, this episode of the Seriously Wrong Podcast has a truth value of 0.6. Welcome everyone to the Seriously Wrong Podcast, your map to the territory of ideology. My name is Aaron. And my name is Sean. Well, I mean, the word Sean refers to me. Yeah, it also refers to a lot of other people. Yeah, like if you shout Sean in a mall or something, it's likely that people will turn their heads and their name will be Sean and they won't be me. Search Sean on Facebook, any spelling, and quite a few hits. But within the context of this show, we understand that from a limited perspective, the signifier Sean refers to the signified of this flesh being here that's in my living room. That's me. I mean, well, I control the flesh body. I mean, my body is more me than the word Sean is me. You could say you are your brain. I don't know if I would say that, but one could say that. I would include the nervous system outside of the brain also. I mean, if you're going to reduce it down to like the thinking parts of the body. Right. But yeah, when you're saying Sean, like mostly what I'm referring to is kind of ethereal stuff, like your personality or your thoughts, your ideas. My reputation. Reputation, yeah. So those things are kind of stored non-locally, you know, on computers, in your brain, in other people's thoughts about you, in my brain primarily. Yeah, you have a mental model of me. Yeah, so when I use Sean, I'm referring to my mental model. I'm not referring really to you or to the flesh body at all, because I've never really experienced the flesh body. I've just experienced... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've never experienced, like, I've never, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Would you like to experience the flesh body? <laughs> what, I- <laughs> what I meant was that even my visual version of you that I have in my head is in my head. What I think of as your flesh body is the visual that I get of you. <laughs> <laughs> So sit back, if not physically, mentally sit back. Relax. And if there's a seatbelt near you, put it on. They're there for a reason in places where they are. Some mechanic is just listening to the show and he's like, but then I won't be able to reach under the steering wheel where I'm supposed to. (laughs) But it's nearby and Sean told me to. (laughs) I believe everything that Sean says. (laughs) I believe it literally. (laughs) In all contexts. This is how I live my life. But actually, a lot and, of people do that. And enjoy the episode. <laughs> this is just finishing off the. Oh yeah. Sit back, and relax, enjoy. And enjoy. And enjoy. This is seriously wrong. From the less wrong wiki, the map is not the territory. 
the map is not the territory metaphorically illustrates the difference between belief and reality. The phrase was coined by Alfred Korzybski. Our perception of the world is being generated by our brain and can be considered as a map of reality written in neural patterns. Reality exists outside our mind, but we can construct models of this territory based on what we glimpse through our senses. Maps obscure as they reveal in order to serve a purpose of like, if you're talking about a literal map of getting someone from point A to point B, you focus in on that part of the terrain, you, you mark the relevant trail, but you don't mark potentially irrelevant aspects that would be distracting or unnecessary detail. And like in the same way, when we're constructing mental maps of the world around us, we're doing so for a purpose usually getting around in the world and interacting in the world in a way that is um, beneficial to you. And it's natural and necessary that as you construct your own mental models of the world, you simplify things, you leave things out because you are focused on certain necessary things, bio-survival, social fulfillment, all the things we humans spend our time reaching for and getting at. Yeah, so while the creation of a map is by definition a process of exclusion as well as inclusion. Yes. That, that you, you, you can never create a map that perfectly corresponds to reality because if that map contained all of the complexity of reality, then it would just be reality itself. It would be like having a map of a city that was as big as the city. Yeah. And that also on the map had moving people on it who lived lives and the map changes as new buildings are built and so so making a map is a process of exclusion and that exists both if you're trying to draw a a map to get your friend to the store where you're just drawing the streets they actually have to go down in the rough direction they go but it also applies to like ideological outlooks if you're describing the world in a certain way you're creating a map to serve the purpose of trying to navigate reality. In that process, there's always an exclusion of perspectives, which is like an innate aspect of trying to describe the world is excluding information. Yeah, yeah. If you were to perfectly describe what's going on with what's called the market, say, for example, it's, uh, oh, I just saw a word for this, I think, super task. It's called a super task. It's something that would take longer to do than is possible like the the example that was given was in order to perfectly describe one's day one might have to spend 10 years just writing out all of the details of that one day in order to get it all down perfectly and so but if they were trying to do that for their life that's a super task because you're accumulating more data that you need to write down faster than it can possibly be written down so describing the political realities of the world is a super task. It's impossible. And by, by necessity, we simplify. And it's important to pay attention to what's being left out in any given reality tunnel. Yeah. And it's not to say that leaving things out is bad. No, or it's, that it's at, necessary. Yeah. Or that like at all times, one must strive to never leave anything out. It's actually a liberatory understanding of reality to say that exclusion is always going on. Like self-expression is in some form curation just by default. Like my point of view represents the sum of the experiences that have come into me and it cannot by its definition include all other points of view. And it's nice to not 
feel the responsibility to strive for that. If you recognize that every single possible description of reality is going to leave something out, the best way to get at a description of reality is a sort of dialectical process. But in order for that to be a process between opposing ideas, there have to actually be opposing ideas. There have to actually be people who have beliefs and ideas and stick to their guns and present a perspective and argue for it. If we want to say that the truth exists somewhere in the cloud of attempting this super task, attempting piecemeal aspects of this super task together, and that there's a sort of liberal utopic marketplace of ideas going on that's going to arrive at the best answer, then what you want is a lot of people who express diverse opinions and express them with conviction, because that's going to be the best way to really cohere them into something useful and and good. Yeah, you just kind of triggered a reaction in me because I recently got into a disagreement with someone over the concept of the free market of ideas. The marketplace of ideas concept, the, the liberal utopic marketplace of ideas concept is not the claim that magically when people shout ideas at each other long enough, the best ideas automatically win and the worst ideas automatically lose, and it's impossible for people to go in the wrong direction or have bad ideas because we're all such reasonable creatures that we automatically learn everything right away from each other. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the reality of human relations. It's a metaphor, it's a description, and yes, it leaves out information like all maps do, but it is a description of the public sphere of ideas where, generally speaking, I think there is a trend towards more humane more complex, more rational ideas over time because the social dynamics around conversation are that people with good ideas look better than people with bad ideas. Everyone wants to have good ideas because they look better. And there's a collaborative process of sharing our cognitive capacity with each other. So the marketplace of ideas, I realize from getting in a, a, like a silly internet argument about it is actually like an important concept to me. And it's a metaphor and it's not idealistic it's almost ingrained within us when something we hear most closely matches our own personal maps of the territory that it's going to resonate with us and we're going to agree with it and uh, yes everyone's maps of the territory are skewed and leave things out just because something matches your map more doesn't mean that it's going to be true Nevertheless, everybody's map is based on the territory. It's all of us map out the world based on our experience of the world. It's not as if everyone who disagrees with you politically exists in a real, actual, parallel world to you, and they're ha they're experiencing some different territory. You're both experiencing the same territory. Yeah, but the, your maps just have different exclusions. And so because of that commonality, because everybody's map comes from the same territory true things are going to reverberate with our own maps more often than false things because all of our maps are based on the territory. So it's it's an imperfect process in a lot of ways, but it I think it is trended towards higher truth values, getting higher on that zero to one scale, getting closer to one. Well, yeah, and good ideas, good ideas are going to have predictive ability. Good ideas are going to have success within 
context. For example, within the kind of game rules of the Republican primary process, somehow Trump's theory about what would bring him to the front of the Republican pack which was outside of conventional political logic that if you were talking to advisors, they would say like, no, don't be really racist. <laughs> yeah, don't invoke fascism. But Trump, either by fluke or by design, his model of behavior and ideas of how to behave in relation to that system. Yeah, his map matched the territory. A to B, like how to get from where he was, reality TV show star and business person, to Republican candidate. His map worked. It was better than Marco Rubio's map. It was better than Ted Cruz's map. Yeah, and I mean, on one level, it's an argument, oh, the best ideas don't rise to the surface, because if the best ideas in abstract were rising to the surface, then whoever was the most purely non-racist and and, <laughs> and was like a good candidate that caused no controversy, that would be the best. But I think that's a misleading argument because within the context of electoral politics, it's in our interest to understand the territory. And so when something like Trump in spreading these hateful ideas, causing these controversies, he has spread bad ideas on the free market of ideas and then got successful from it. But the model that matched the territory was the territory of the media system, the Republican Party itself and the Republican base, which he has described so accurately that it's reflected into real reality. And that description is what's valuable, even though there is the secondary effects or arguably, depending on your perspective, the primary effects of increasing like race hostility and stuff like that. So my point is, is that maps are competitive. And one of the ways that truth wins out over time is that successful maps have predictive ability and have outcomes that are desired. The right. hypothesis is if a map has a, an end goal, it has a hypothesis that it's successful in reaching. I think that the prominence of bad ideas isn't an argument against the free market of ideas working. It's a part of the process of the free market of ideas working. And the example I always like to point to is the Westboro Baptist Church. And they spread a lot of hatred against gay people. Uh, they, you know, protested people's funerals. They've protested a ton of stuff. They, they are Donald Trumpish in their homophobia and in the same way that Donald Trump is putting this dog whistle-ish, almost bald racism out in an extremely popular way, in both cases, the backlash against that has been so voluminous that it, I would argue, is going to end up having the opposite effect. I will argue that it did end up having the opposite effect for the Westboro Baptist Church, that what they ended up doing is not spreading homophobia, but providing the bald, vile, homophobic rhetoric that was necessary to be put out there in order to show it for what it was and refute it most effectively provided themselves as poster childs, as whipping boys to be and girls, whipping boys and girls. And that's really progressive comment. <laughs> Sorry. Go it's not a progressive comment because I left out all the other genders, but no, I guess sure. they're but you shouldn't whip they, them. They only have two genders. I'm sure within their church. Yeah. Two acknowledged Westboro Baptist church genders. We shouldn't whip the other genders. Yeah. Oh, whipping boys and girls. Fine. <laughs> whipping uh, yeah whipping these no don't whip these 
turn themselves into whipping people. (laughs) More progressive innovation. (laughs) (laughs) Cause a lot of this like racism and fascist sentiment that is coming out now and Trump, I would say is not the cause of it. He is a manifestation of it was there before. It's not like it wasn't there. These people all existed. They just weren't talking about it. It wasn't a cultural moment. Yeah, like the throughout the huge history of racism, it like it dipped off in the 90s and everything was like chill and got <laughs> less and less racist and all of a sudden it just like shot back on the scene right now. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> it was always there. It was just repressed and maybe bringing it to the front is a good way to continue the process of fighting it and dealing with it and making that slow march towards the better ideas, winning the battle. It's interesting the idea of the Westboro Baptist Church as like self-mapping this like hateful ideology that existed but was like not something that people were open about. Like the Westboro Baptist Church aren't the only Christians on earth who think that gay people are tortured for eternity. Yeah. They're just the only ones. Or use use the word fags casually, like fags burn in hell. They're just the only ones willing to put that on a sign. And and, go to a soldier's funeral. Yeah. (laughs) And like a lot of people have been thinking the kinds of things that Trump is saying about Mexico and China. And he's just the only one who thought of going on the U.S. presidential (laughs) election circuit and saying those things out loud, which, you know, is teaching us some valuable lessons about the territory. Yeah, the the electoral public of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And and beyond, like a lot of his support is coming from people who were previously disenfranchised with politics. Like they wouldn't have supported the Republican Party necessarily in its previous state. It was too too cuckish for them. Such a descriptive word. Cuckish. Too permissive on immigration for them. You know, I was just thinking, we've had a Republican president for the last eight years, and I've noticed I was driving through a poor neighborhood, and there's just so many immigrants around. Oh, yes. Bush was the worst. Yeah. Uh, we wanted him to close the border, and what did he do? He just kept it wide open, gaping even. But the Republican Party, I just, you know, you would expect them to be the sensible ones on this issue, on keeping them out, on keeping them away from our wives. If I could be impolite for a moment, these Republicans, they're just, it's just they're too cuckish. Like, I can't trust them to be a strong leader. They're, they're, too, they're just simply too cuckish. Yeah, I have to agree that the most descriptive, accurate word is cuckolds. They're they're cultural cuckolds. You know, it's mm-hmm. they enjoy it's nasty. they enjoy watching traitorous action. They're sexual fetishists for anti-American traitorism. Just like the cuckoo bird who unwittingly watches over the egg of a rival, they invite the seed the seeds and the eggs of the rivals into our country to uh, breed us out of existence. And it's... It's pure cuckoldry. It's absolute hogwash. And Socioeconomic cuckoldry. Hmm. Yes. Whose nest egg are we hatching under this Republican administration? Honestly, I'm, I don't think I'm even going to vote for them anymore. Cuckservatives, to coin a term. Ooh, nice. <laughs> See, I almost feel a little bit like leftist guilt for 
making a, a sketch around the absurdity of the cuckold theme and trend mm-hmm. on the internet, the alt-right meme. Because it's like, it's it's a political, the word cuck contains a political map of the territory that we're amplifying in a way. Yeah, yeah. And so the there's like this internalized voice inside you saying, don't talk about it, because if you don't talk about it, it won't be real. And if we just ignore it, it'll disappear. Or I'm, I'm kind of parodying it, what you're getting at, but in order to make a point, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think the the what it's it's not a, it doesn't take the form of a voice the the, le- it, the little leftist on your shoulder maybe needs to become a, a recurring character on the show oh Sean <laughs> you're subtly or not so subtly <laughs> uh, so I, w- I want to introduce a premise that Robert Anton Wilson talks about he also I first heard about the concept of the map territory distinction from Robert Anton Wilson. But he also talks about his word model agnosticism, which is the the default assumption that since maps don't perfectly correspond to territory, it's beneficial to be open to alternative maps and to not become too attached to the, the maps and models that you're fond of. And it's okay to be fond of maps. It's, it's okay to use maps. But at the heart of it, there's an agnosticism of, of whether or not that map is so to speak, true. People who aren't model agnostics are uh, model theists, people who have a religious affinity for their model. Mm. I might also describe them as, and describe myself at times, like I'm not outside of this category, but is model literalists. Yeah, so I guess that would be like confusing the map for the territory, not realizing that there's been exclusion. Yeah, and thinking that someone else's map is insane i think that the only reason people have maps and this is sort of an argument for the partial validity of all maps because the only reason they exist is because they work for people in some way because maps that don't work for people get discarded they if they don't match the territory at all enough to get you to your goal then they're not going to exist so to say that some map is completely detached from reality is i think axiomatically has to be untrue and i think the better perspective is to try and look at different maps and see what are the realities that they are describing and how can we incorporate that into our own maps because i think i think the ideal should be like what we should be striving to be is to have the most accurate map possible right I mean, and given that we're allowed to have more than one map or, or kind of forced to have more than one map by definition, maybe we want to, in parallel, be collectively building a big map, like a, a my instinct with my interests is towards something like a, a wiki, you know, Wikipedia is kind of like a shared big map of the world that anyone can add more descriptions of the world to. Yeah, yeah. But in, interestingly, it has a very like specific perspective like it it's neutral point of view objective to have a neutral point of view is leaving out you know passionate like information you're not going to find on wikipedia is a passionate defense of 1930s racism against black people that information isn't there because that perspective isn't neutral 
It's an intense example. (laughs) Defending racism in the 1930s specifically. It's a great time. Great time for racism. (laughs) I just uh, typing sound effect. uh, Going on Wikipedia. Um, Wikipedia. Why was 1930s racism good? What the fuck? No hits. (laughs) Yeah, because you know... But you know there's an argument for that. Even if nobody's made it yet, there's an argument for why that was the perfect amount of racism. And I'm not saying anyone should articulate that argument necessarily, but I'm saying that the arguments people do care to articulate, I think a wiki that collected all of those is a super amazing noble goal to have to have like an argument wiki that allows anyone to make a page for a particular perspective and be as systematic as they want and argue for it and also have other people include you know skeptical inserts into those pages and so you just get this sense of all these different perspectives in a way that wikipedia lacks because wikipedia is uh like an encyclopedia trying to have a neutral point of view which i think is useful for what they are but this would be a different thing that would be cool you want to create a digital environment to map social reality around politics and and religion and stuff yeah just anything around which there's disagreement politics religion science just any the the cultural conversation i guess it's a wiki of the cultural conversation just making sure that all perspectives are archived and accounted for and the counter arguments are also archived and accounted for and just create this giant map of the conversation because like you notice it changed every year like things come in and out of style certain like if you'd asked me about social justice five years ago you asked me about it two years ago and I knew way less I knew it existed but five years ago I had absolutely no sense of it at all so the ideascapes are always changing so I think having this archive of like if we had a wiki that existed from 19 uh I was going to say 30s again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what's your fascination with the 1930s? I just want to hear some arguments from the 30s about why racism is good. What's what's weird about that? I would be interested to read it. If someone if someone like listened to this episode, like, it's like, no, I know no. that argument. But, but even more broadly than that, if you had a wiki of all arguments that existed in 1930, not just around racism, but around drinking, around drugs, around sexual promiscuity, around propriety or all perspectives were attempted to be archived i think that would be an amazing resource and so yeah i think someone should get on out there (laughs) looking at you someone someone (laughs) and yeah so it like the idea of the argument wiki, the idea of collecting all these different reality tunnels would be that ultimately through collecting them all, you can gain some godlike insight, godlike insight. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. Some, I, I I just, I just want to agree with godlike insight. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I want to rename the podcast, the godlike insight. (laughs) Do you think that you could say that as a talking point? Like as a mainstream politician is like, you know, the internet's giving us godlike insight. It's, it really, (laughs) I mean, I think we can tune our compass on that internet. Yeah. It is giving us godlike insight. Well, it would if someone created this wiki. Um, (laughs) 
Well, it's already given us godlike insight into um, a lot of history and a lot of... Yeah, on a scale from zero to God, I think we've definitely went up from like a 0.02 to maybe a 2.5. But I think argument wiki could maybe get us to like a five or six. It's just waiting for someone to do it is all. Okay, but Aaron... You're talking about giving a platform to literal fascists and Nazis. Yes, yes, yeah. As long and or and also to have embedded in every time you see literal fascist or Nazi arguments, there would be skeptical markup embedded within it. So you could always read the counter arguments to everything they're saying. Mm. Would there be like a little avatar next to their their comment that says with a little swastika, a Nazi wrote this? <laughs> Yeah, well, no, it would just be like a single, it, it would be anonymous in the same way Wikipedia is, but the understanding would be that if you're writing in the skeptical markup section, you're arguing against the premise of the, the title of the page. And if you're arguing, if you're writing if the, in Then that, if the page is Nazism is good and should come back. Yeah, then in the skeptical markup section, you're against that position. You're arguing against it. And yeah, maybe there should be some more precision. If you're arguing against it from a feminist perspective, you're arguing against it from a conservative perspective. Yeah, I like the idea of people being able to say like, okay, well, what's what's the argument for, for closing all the prisons? And then there's a page there that's like curated and put together by a group of people who care about the subjects. Yeah. That also includes a little slider where you can see the critiques of the arguments and the counterpoints and stuff. And like, I want to create a video series about why racism against black people in the 1930s was awful specifically so you go there you get all those arguments and it makes your whole project of debunking it uh, all the easier it sounds like a great project to to test model agnosticism and the free market of ideas and practice the yeah, argument yeah definitely. the best way to show that these ideas that we're talking about are true is to put the ideas into practice in a way that's successful Hey, Timmy, um, why don't you come over here? I got something to show you. Okay, Daddy. What is it? You see here, this is a globe. You know, the, do you know yeah. where we are on the, the map? Could you show me? Um, over here. That's right, son. We live in the United Arab Emirates. I learned that at school. And our house is too small to be on this map, right? Yeah, the, the real world is much bigger. Yeah, and that's because any time that you make a map of anything, so whether you're drawing a, something that you saw, or you're describing yourself in some way, or the words that we used to describe things, see, these are all maps, right? These are all descriptions of reality, the territory. Uh, and, and our brains only allow us to make maps of a certain size. So that means that on any individual map, we have to leave out information. And that's just an uh, interesting kind of cognitive concept for a young kid. But Daddy, doesn't everybody know that about maps? That maps sometimes have to leave things out? It seems kind of obvious. <laughs> I don't think that people are necessarily, by default, describing the world, or, or should I say, mapping the world in that way. I, I while, while, while we're... I don't know, Dad. It sounds like you're just trying to sound clever, but it's n you're not really being that clever, you know? Well, this is a perfect example. Is you've drawn a map that's divided into the sections clever and not clever, and you've drawn me into the not clever side. 
But in the end, it's just that I said you're not clever, right? Like, that's all it means. Well, it depends what kind of map you're drawing. Like, for example, if you calling me not clever, it could be the peak of a story that we don't fully understand. Or, or it could be the inciting moment of a larger story where I'm, I look inward because of this feedback that you've given me. Right now, the, the territory of this event has happened, but the meaning we ascribe to it is the map that we create and place it on. Daddy, we learned all this stuff in grade one, you know? I'm already in grade three. Wait, you learned about the map territory distinction in a philosophical sense? Yeah, basically. Same thing. We learned that... You learned about general We learned about drawing. We learned about words for things, using words for things. That sounds like you're the one who should be teaching me. What do you want to know? Um, is God indifferent or is God malicious Why does God allow evil to happen? Daddy, God's not real. We learned that in grade two. That's what they're teaching you in school now? Is that there's no no God? It's part of the new pluralistic United Arab Emirates society curriculum. Common core. There is no God. (laughs) Yikes. I voted yes in that referendum about evidence policy, and this is where it ends up. Oh, yikes. I'm the product of your choice, Daddy. Oh my god, just imagined a map of my choices <laughs> through the exclusion <laughs> filter of self-hatred and, and dark times. It's nonsense, Daddy. It's emotional nonsense. Oh my god, Neil deGrasse Tyson promised us a paradise. A fool's paradise. Now he's killing the golden goose. Oh no, you realize these references, they're not even going to make any sense until way later in the episode. This is just poor form. <laughs> Sorry, no, I, I, I don't know if I like this 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 theme of meta almost gets getting meta at the end. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> That'll make sense later. Oh shit. By bringing my own criticism in, I participated in the very thing I was criticizing you for <laughs> to an even worse extent. Yeah, now the whole audience is completely bamboozled. Yeah, they're so confused. We're, I'm sorry about this. It will all make sense. And on with the show. <laughs> Today's episode brought to you by Remembering to Enjoy the Episode. Oh, this episode's not really doing it for me. Yeah, it's not really a topic I enjoy. I don't know. They seem they seem off this week, the hosts, honestly. Wait, what if what if we just sat back and enjoyed the episode? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think if I put my feet up, if I just sort of leaned back, I got some pillows here, I could enjoy this. Mm, well, I listen to the podcast at work, so I'm sweeping, but I can mentally lean back in that I'm relaxing and getting ready to enjoy myself. Yeah, if I get out of a super critical state of mind and just enjoy what is there, <laughs> then I think I could just, yeah, sit back, relax, and enjoy. I mean, I put the episode on, I'm going to surrender to it. Sit back and enjoy, mentally speaking. It's a state one puts oneself in. It's one's own responsibility (laughs) to to enjoy. (laughs) Proud sponsor of the Seriously Wrong Podcast. I want to analyze this distinction between a map that is meant to describe something, like, for example, a, a word like neoliberalism that makes a map to describe a bunch of concepts in relation to each other for a political purpose. And the predictive aspect of a map that is something like a schematic for a building or a revolutionary manifesto or a, a political party's platform, it feel, it, it's like a shift in tense 
Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Describing what is as opposed to describing what could be. Yeah, or or you describing what was. I'm not sure I guess if I believe a, in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether there's a, a real political description of what's going on this this nanosecond and how useful that is as opposed to the one describing what's going on tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel like what is and the moment and this type of stuff, it feeds into it it's got an ideological baggage associated with it. Like I'm not saying that the present moment doesn't exist. But like speaking in terms of the present moment existing seems to refer to to like backpacking Europe or <laughs> or like going to music festivals. Oh, I was thinking of it more in terms of like people talk about very recent history that is perhaps we're still in the middle of as the moment, the like using moment not as a super limited slice of right this second, but as a describing the the current zeitgeist or whatever they yeah well if, if we look at the moment in context of our mathematical understanding of the length of history itself from our best estimates you know the entirety of human civilization was kind of a a moment also but that doesn't mean that the universe the whole concept of like whether or not we're small and infinitesimal and and worthless in the universe or the most important thing in the universe like these mm-hmm. weird dichotomies that come out of that and like the, the the hopelessness of being so small, that is based on a type of map literalism that we assume because when we try to map the entire universe, we're scaled out of it. We're like, oh, that's a bad map. That map doesn't like me. <laughs> it's like, no, do you, does the globe map not like your house? No, like you just can't include everything. You could make a, a globe that puts your house on it if like you yeah. really want to. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, mo- most history books don't include most events from history. They don't even include most of the important events from history. Like they're, they're going to be about one thing or like one, you know, one period or one theme that's repeated in different places or something. Like you have to conceal as you reveal. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to tell you not to feel bad about that, but. When you think about the scale of the universe, we're a tiny piece of matter in a tiny piece of time of a universe that extends really far in matter and really far in time and insurmountably large directions that we can't comprehend. But you you have to understand that that map lacks you not because of a limitation of the universe, not because of a limitation of your value to the universe on that scale, but because of a limitation of your mapping capacity of your brain. The universe consists of non-simultaneously apprehended events. We can't understand everything all at once. And I can tell, as the maker of that map, it's in your head. You be- it belongs to you. You can add a little you are here dot in the corner. It's completely arbitrary. Like, how much do you know about the exact shape of the universe? When you're modeling it, you're just trying to model a big, empty space <laughs> and then place yourself infinitely small. Like, of course, yeah. that's going to make you feel bad. Just put put a tiny you are here dot in the corner and then you're like, oh, that's pretty dope. Uh, that's a nice map. I'm important in it. And you're allowed to do that because it's your map. Yeah, it's map. It's map literalism. And it's also experience denial because you're taking, OK, what is the universe really? The universe is really this insanely vastly large thing in space and time, and I'm tiny within it. And so therefore, 
everything that I know in my life, every one that I know in my life, every experience I've had, every person I've met, every book I've read, every book I haven't read, all that stuff is tiny and nothing and meaningless because of this big map when that that it's just denying everything about everyone's experience in the world because we all see each other and we know that <laughs> things matter to people and things matter to you most likely and these things exist and they have shape and they have gravity and density and reality and it's almost tautological but it's just it's obvious that the things that we all experience matter in relation to each other. Whether I learn how to make homemade explosives and blow up the building that I live in matters in relation to all the people who live here, all the people in the neighborhood, pretty much everyone in Vancouver and probably Canada would hear about this and it would matter to many of them. It's a strange example, but it shows that... <laughs> I have no plans on carrying it out, but it shows that that big map has almost as little to do with us as we have to do with it. We're a tiny part of it, and it's a tiny part of us, but we're, for the most part, all just here on this planet talking and dealing with each other, and this is more real than that arbitrarily large thing. I also have to provide another warning, a very stern warning about these maps, and the dangers of literalism, do not be tempted to stand above dogs and ants and small animals and feel enormous. Uh, it's okay to do recreationally a little now and then, pretend to be enormous, like go, for example, to a model village and walk through it and feel enormous. That's okay, and in, in, in moderation. But I've seen with a lot of people it can kind of take over your life where you think like, oh, I'm so enormous in relation to these ants. I'm a god. Like, I'm so powerful compared to them. I choose when they live and die. There's nothing they can do back to me. I'm so powerful at this scale. This is the map of the universe I'm committing to. And from that, you know, what starts as fun at first and is a <laughs> recreational pursuit turns very serious as these people start to take that literally and then start to feel, oh, I'm the most enormous person on earth i could crush anyone uh i'm uh it's just just a word of warning yeah yeah you don't want to shrink it down so far to the psychopathic like torturing animals as a child and then torturing and manipulating humans as little pawns in your godlike chess game as an adult yeah that that's that's a little too myopic i was advocating for for center-right pragmatist myopia of like having a global perspective <laughs> oh taking, the golden mean yeah the golden mean yeah <laughs> rather than taking the whole universe into account or just taking yourself and your own interests into account yeah the, so yeah, I mean, while it's perfectly okay to play with matchbox cars, d do not get caught up in imagining that they are regular size and you are giant because it's it's equally a dangerous path as getting <laughs> caught up into existential nihilism. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think the maps that we use to define the world have the power to make us feel big or feel small. Like that That's the truth to that, is that the way that we look at the world includes a description of our scale of the universe and arguably someone who feels overly entitled to other people's time and energy and so on has a model of the universe that places themselves too big in it. And I think that's a real problem. But from my experience, I feel like I see more people whose map of the universe makes them too small. 
Yeah. I think that's why I like Ayn Rand. She wanted to build people up. She wanted to make them a, make themselves a little larger in their own worldview and therefore make them more effective people. But then when you look at a lot of Ayn Rand's followers, you see some of the people who actually do have the opposite of what you're describing as the as the major problem in the world, people who have too high opinions of themselves, people who like sort of revel in a surface idea of selfishness and like doing and being self-interested and not understanding that uh, that global perspective that that proper scale the scale of concern i guess the scale of concern for your average human i think should be earth centric and you know intergalactic ultimately but yeah it's interesting cuz when i use the term scale of concern i just am reminded of this thing I heard a traditionalist say recently, I mean, this was even an ethno-nationalist, some alt-right kind of thing, was saying that the way society should be set up begins with the family, and you know, you take care of yourself and your own and your family, then it moves up to the community, it moves up to the nation-state, and that's it. I mean, that's the scales of concerns. Make sure you and your nation are good. Basically, your yeah, your nation and your your people, your tribe, your racial identity is sort of tied into that. I guess my only point with that was that I had never related that before to like sort of the the, the scale on their map, like how much of humanity do they map out in terms of what's important and what needs to be considered. I think there's there's another layer of. Uh, in-group versus out-group consideration in between the national and international level, which is ideological tribes. The idea that, you know, for example, Christians will help Christians or socialists will support socialists. This idea of a community based on ideas, an in-group based on cultural affinity and, and not region or race. I don't think that this is like a new thing, but it's something that's being really helped to propagate because of the internet. And I think that's kind of what you heard about Neil deGrasse Tyson's rationalia. Mm -hmm. the, he suggested a evidence-based and scientific society, basically. Yeah, yeah. He said the Constitution should have one clause, which is all law is created in proportion to the evidence. I seem to get the idea that it was an opt-in thing that you could say, like, I am a citizen of this digital or ideological nation mm. um, oh, interesting. That, that extends beyond the boundaries of a specific place. I, I also feel like the, the criticisms from the, the so concern... Those are some Pinochet helicopters coming uh, after <laughs> us for bringing up, uh, bringing up this heresy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> knew the helicopter sound was going to be audible on the thing. I felt like commenting on it. Uh, I see. Oh, the, the the risk of rationalia that people are bringing up, there's a fear that in a society that strives to be solely or at its heart scientific, people will pay too much attention to the rote rules of science and there will be like a strict authoritarian culture of science of what is allowed to be thought and what's not allowed to be thought or mm -hmm. like that yeah. people will mistake the map for the territory in the sense that 
they will think that their evidence of the world is synonymous with the world and not examine the the human biases that go into the scientific method and like so when you like look at the history of scientific progress there's a bunch of ideas that we now recognize as pseudoscientific or not reflective of reality that at the time were thought to be scientific and if they were put into law because they were thought to be scientific that would be a uh, tragedy welcome to keyboard warrior radio theater once again these science popularizers bracket neil degrasse tyson is one of the worst of them and bracket show just how little understanding they have of anything outside of a narrow positivistic worldview they would be laughed out of the halls of any truly academic philosophy institute they are good at what they do which is doing experiments but they are bad at what philosophers need to do which is tell us what their experiments mean for us in the world what counts as evidence what what counts as evidence it's not a scientific question that's a philosophical question that's a question that requires argument and interpretation and it's not something that you can just go out into the world and measure oh what is evidence no it's philosophy Hi, there's no need to be so rude. I think you're going too hard on Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like, obviously, he's going to be laughed out of a philosophical institution because they're elitists who demand ridiculous things to be taken seriously. The strength of science is, is its ability to change. And that would be the strength of rationalia, is its ability to look inward and see when things are going wrong and course correct. An evidence-based policy isn't just going based on the best information you have so far. It's also making hypotheses, making tests, trying to achieve results. And if you don't get the results, you change your course. You do further experiments to try to create the outcome that you're looking for. The scientific method is built around testing and replicability. This can be moved to the political realm. And I think that is the heart of the question of what rationalia means in practice. The reason that rationalia would not become this optimistic version of it that you propose, that I agree would be a good kind of society that we should build, is that right now, without an understanding of the philosophy of power, putting a system like this into effect would have the opposite effect of what you're describing. A proper philosophy of power understands and centers how power relationships work in a society. The undercurrents of what Neil deGrasse Tyson is suggesting is rule by experts, rule by people who happen to have gone to school to learn about a particular thing. We can't invest power into science itself. We can only invest power into people. And Neil deGrasse Tyson wants to invest power into elite scientists. I want to invest power into individuals and also invest individuals with their own inquiring, skeptical, truly skeptical scientific, experience-based philosophies. I find it really curious that you, a white man, would think that a black man living in America doesn't understand the philosophy of power. To me, it's just honestly sus 
that as soon as there is a intelligent black man in the public eye advocating for science, suddenly there's an army of white dudes on the internet who are all critical of the scientific method. This never happened before Neil deGrasse Tyson was one of the public figures of this movement. Where are these guys in criticizing Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins? I'm not saying that they're racist. I'm just saying that's very suspicious. Well, my friend, I can see that you are a nuanced thinker with a nuanced position. And my outrage was never intended to be read as an attack against people like yourself who take the time to think about issues and comment thoughtfully on them. My outrage should be clearly seen as directed at the mindless followers of people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss and Stephen Hawking, all of whom have the same sorts of philosophical failings as Neil deGrasse Tyson does. What philosophical good comes out of attacking, quote, mindless followers? What you're talking about is people who maybe they understand less than you. They haven't read firsthand documents. There's a power relationship between you and someone who knows less than you. If you realize that you're a powerful person, you have to show benevolence. Otherwise, you're not being a good person. If you use the power of your knowledge to attack someone else, you're abusing the power that knowledge gives you. Help people to understand what you understand and treat them with respect and delicacy and understanding of where they're coming from. Philosophically speaking, I think that you're the one who needs some work, not Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson is right. I think maybe we could all use a little work, myself included, Neil deGrasse Tyson included, and maybe even you included. You know, I won't uh, presume to say what your, your issues are, but... I think you've accurately described some of mine, and I'm going to take some real time to think about them. So thank you again for this exchange. I'm not going to name your specific problems. What kind of passive-aggressive fucking bullshit is that? Oh my god, you fucking atheist science dude bros are so fucking annoying. I'm just saying I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm just saying I'm not as perceptive as you are at pointing out other people's problems. Oh, okay, yeah, so I'm pointing out your problems. Yeah, and I'm thanking you for it. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Haha, <laughs> you're so funny and ironic, you piece of shit. You're blocked. Huh, it's a pity he's gone. Seemed like quite an intelligent young man. Emotional issues, maybe, but seemed ultimately good on the inside. Maybe we'll reconnect one day and be friends again. <laughs> So th this episode of the podcast is a map of this concept of maps from our perspective. And it leaves out a lot of true things about the universe. Yeah, there's a lot of topics that we didn't get to at all today. We had a curious silence on the Civil War. Curious silence. Curious silence on Buddha statues on fire. Yeah, we, we had a curious silence on Israel and Palestine. Yeah. Which side are we on? And expanding from that curious silence on anti-Semitism as a whole and on Nazis and Hitler. Yeah, and you know that being neutral in situations of injustice is being on the side of the oppressor. Yeah. We didn't mention at any point during this episode our opposition to the existing slavery still going on on Earth. Yeah. Or, so that's or, pretty much a affirmation of it. Yeah, we didn't express any reservations at all about the influence that 
business has on the current political environment in Western countries and United States in particular and how that affects policy and really just takes power away from the democratic apparatus as a whole when unlimited money is allowed to be funneled in through these organizations. You know, it's a curious silence that we didn't mention that at all. It's part of, I guess, maybe a neoliberal agenda on our part. We didn't mention that we that we pee and poo and masturbate, and in that sense, we're liars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are we trying to portray ourselves as these saints? These... Yeah, these poopless saints. <laughs> these poopless, peeless. Poopless, peeless, full absorption, never jerk off, complete. <laughs> <laughs> we, just suck it, we just suck it up our spine. Just suck it all up the spine. Poo, pee, <laughs> sexual energy. <laughs> oh, you still go pee? I just suck it up the spine. <laughs> converted to a higher spiritual energy so yeah we definitely have been piously portraying ourselves as people who never shit this whole episode Mm -hmm. yeah despite all that the things we did talk about the things we did illuminate i think there was a reason for that and i think there was a shape to what was said that got to the bottom of something by by ignoring all that other stuff we were able to get to the bottom of this one thing the universe is built up of non-simultaneously apprehended events. It would be impossible for us to make all the points that we made in this episode and then make also all the other points that are possible in the universe in this episode. Even if we supposed that in the future the entire universe will become a giant sphere of nanobots in which we all exist as conscious beings projecting into digital realities, presuming that's not what it is already, even if when that is the case, there will be no point in time at which we could have a map of that entire universe because of the laws of relativity. We know that for information to travel from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe takes time. And so building a perfect map of it all at once is an incoherent concept that doesn't exist. And we must defend against the scourge of literalism, seeing the world in terms of a binary between zero and one, like either good or bad, either awesome or shitty, true or false. That is literalism, and that is a dangerous mode of thinking. The alternative is model agnosticism or fuzzy logic, thinking in spectrums instead of binaries, thinking in terms of comparisons, thinking in a relativistic way rather than a non-relativistic way. Yeah, not pure relativism, which I think is a straw man that like nobody ever actually advocates for, pretty much. Uh, but while being relativistic, not being afraid to be probabilistic and to rank things, recognizing that most of the truths we know, even the best truths we know are like 0.9999. I'm 0.9999 sure that the sun is going to rise tomorrow, but I'm, you know, maybe 0.8 sure that Bernie Sanders would have been a better choice for president than Hillary Clinton. Maybe even higher, probably higher, but... I'm 0.4 sure that mainstream music is generated by computers (laughs) artificial intelligence took over pop music in 2014 i'm uh, 0.4 sure that this bit is happening too close to the previous bit in the episode and it's throwing off the balance (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I'm point nine 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 sure that we should push boundaries in the show and surprise people with sometimes two bits close together, and that's not a big deal. Well, I'm point seven sure that you're taking this a little too personally, and I was just mentioning a thought I had. You're weirdly defensive, I noticed about this. <laughs> weirdly defensive. <laughs> Well, I'm point eight sure that it is healthy to express your emotions openly, and that doing bits is fun. And I'm point nine 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 sure that this conversation is over. I'm about point eight sure that skydiving is stupid because of how scary and dangerous it is, and no one should do it. I'm point three sure that my stepdad is sneaking around to do volunteer work in the community, but he doesn't want us to know for some reason. It's really weird. I'm point four sure that Saturn is the fifth planet from the sun. I am like ninety nine point nine percent sure that this has been the seriously wrong podcast, and I'm one of the hosts, Sean and Aaron, Aaron Moritz, Sean Villiers. I don't want to rule out the possibility technically that somehow that's not the case. Yeah, I also don't want to rule out the possibility that you couldn't go to our website right now, seriouslywrong.com, S-R-S-L-Y-W-R-O-N-G.com, and use the contact form there to send us any comments you have on this episode or other episodes or suggestions for shows or uh, personal advice you want to ask for us. I'm about 65% sure that you can call our hotline 1-866-770-8754 and leave a four-minute message about what you heard this episode. The reason my estimate is so low is because I think there's a possibility that many of the people who listen to this episode will listen after the show is over, and I'm not sure if line indefinitely. So it really depends on when you're listening. At the moment, I can say it's a point nine that it's working and it's up, but... I think you also have to take into account that anyone who lives outside of Canada and the United States who's listening right now also can't use it. So maybe it's even less than 65. Yeah, so there's probably 15% chance that you can call our hotline. So if you can, you absolutely should. Uh, yeah, if you're one of the lucky few who's listening like while this episode, while we're still making shows. And you live in Canada or the United States where it's completely toll-free to call, then I'm 99.9% sure that you should call and leave a message because I'm also 99.9% sure that you're very lucky. And like, just because I'm irrational about this, I'm I'm 100% sure that you could go to patreon.com slash seriously wrong or just go to our website and click on Patreon and donate money to us there. I've seen that money uh, it come into my life. So I'm just like, I have a religious faith in the fact that this process works. So the world is made of maps, is made of maps, it's made of maps, and repetition is essential in the creation of truth. And the world is made of maps, out of maps of maps of maps of maps of maps. Maps all the way down. Because you can map out maps with maps, but you can also use maps to interpret maps and participate in obviously map making yourself yeah if you haven't seen the map maker map before let me show you because you're right there on it in the territory of map makers the map includes you you're already making maps even when you're reading a map that someone else has made your map maker in your brain 
It's mapping the map. It's making a map of that map inside your head at the same time that it's making a map of the world around you inside your head, and it's performing an act of map comparison, trying to to sync those two things up in a way to make things useful. It's like and an overlap. I like the the metaphor of the overlapping map, like the two maps overlapping, and then the commonalities, the the consilience between these maps shows reality. Yeah, points you in the direction of reality, where to really go in order to get from A to B. Well, that's the strength of the scientific method, right, is is map comparison. That there's always the option to replicate experiments, make their own maps, and see if the maps contradict the existing maps or what they have in common and so on. And I think that consilience is also at the heart of the notion of like the political golden mean, the things that we all agree on are the base. How do we create a society with the fewest murders possible? How do we create a society with as much material abundance as possible? How do we prevent starving children? How do we prevent loneliness? How do we prevent decadence? (laughs) (laughs) It's an olive branch to the alt-right. We're against decadence too. Oh, yeah, and also Maoist third worldists. Oh, oh, think yeah. the first they, world is decadent. Right, right, right. And things we all agree on, like decadence is awesome, that we need <laughs> to turn the decadence knob up to 125. We want to infect the entire world with luck demons. Those of us with more luck demons want to encourage our luck demons to reproduce and attach themselves to everyone else so that everyone gets many, many more luck demons. We need to have a luck demon breeding frenzy. We, we want the people in the near future to be so lucky that they make everyone in the present look like unlucky bastards. We want everyone in the future to be so privileged that everyone existing alive today looks insanely oppressed by comparison and we want the people of the near future to be feel so fortunate and so grateful that they exist in the time and history they do so content and so cared for that they're able to take maximum action to improve the world and improve the well-being of others it's called rationalia (laughs) and it's called the opposite of rationalia Irrationalia. Irrationalia. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, um, model agnosticism, the opposite of rationalia. Well, whether you call it rationalia or call it irrationalia, we can all agree that we're faced with the option of scientific philosophy as a sterile room where we take animals to die to see their insides versus science as a fertile playground of wildlife and spontaneity and adventure, imagination, the pushing of boundaries. I choose the second. Yeah. yeah, I I choose science as nature. I choose the second while condemning the first and works out great. Well, I just think, I mean, honestly, you're being a bit rude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I just think you're being a bit naive. The arguments I'm making are rational, and therefore they shall be accepted in rationalia. Mm, Weirdly defensive about this, I noticed. Weirdly defensive. (laughs) 
Well, I think you're weirdly attackive. I think you're, you're, you're. I haven't attacked. I haven't attacked. I think you've been putting putting my ideas on blast pretty much all episode. So is this? I feel totally persecuted at the end of this. Is this now a third bit after the other two bits we just threw in at the end of the episode? Is this more bit, or are you actually mad at me? Like I don't understand what's going on right now. Oh, Mr. Bit Quota. Like, what? <laughs> like, how many bits do we get? Like, oh, the bits should be evenly spaced. Yeah, you hate doing the bits so much. Is this what is coming out? Is that you hate doing bits? <laughs> oh, I want to talk. I want to talk rationally about how rationality is. Well, bad. I we I was just thinking maybe we'd scale down the bits. Maybe we scale out the bits. <laughs> See what you've done now. This bit, we've just veered wildly off track and we don't know where to go. Yeah, this one's on me. Yeah, so we just end had, the episode now because we did we did the ending spiel. Yeah, we've we had stronger closers. I'm, it's true. Do we even use this? I guess it depends how like what the episode length looks like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you everyone for listening to the episode this week. I don't know if we say it enough, but we uh, we love you out there. And the map of love that you should apply to understanding that isn't like sexual love. Yeah, not every single one of you. Or romantic love, you know, that's not... Yeah, we're not asking you all to form a committed, life-term monogamous relationship with us. We... <laughs> Could you imagine? We just requested that of our fans. <laughs> if you're going to be a fan of this show, you have to be monogamous to us. And, you know, you we're not forced to have sex with you if we don't want to. So just a large portion of you are going to be celibate and we kind of take our pick. <laughs> yeah, I think we've got... We got no, like, you don't even want to include this bit. Don't <laughs> you don't so. think this is a good bit for the no. show, Sean? <laughs> no, I don't. There's no way. To, I just thought of the different places we could take it, and none of them ring mm. as a good closer. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See where all these bits get us. Do you want to have a bit earlier in the episode that's like dad and son? Because you're worried about all these bits at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess we should. To balance things out.
next time on Seriously Wrong, a perfectly balanced, rational episode that has the bits evenly spaced out. There's no confusion about what's real or what's not. Everything is clearly demarcated and not confusing. Next time.